Well, good morning, Grace Church and Friends of Grace. Uh, This really is an exciting day for us because after five weeks, uh, we get to gather for worship over Facebook Live, and we get to sing together, and we get to uh, talk to each other over the comments section. Um, This really isn't the way things are supposed to be. We're supposed to be together in the same room, uh, singing together. We're supposed to be able to hug and hold one another. We're supposed to be able to celebrate uh, with our families and our friends and our neighbors, uh, the goodness of Jesus' resurrection. Um, but that's really why we're, we're still gathering for worship, because Jesus really is alive, and he really has defeated sin and death and the devil, and we get to celebrate him this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to go on a journey together. We don't know if this is going to work. We've been working with this all morning trying to get it to work. And there may be some technical difficulties. There may be some glitches. We ask that you be gracious with us during this process. Um, There aren't going to be any words or lyrics on the screen uh, at this time. So we encourage you and invite you to download the bulletin off of gracewoodlands.org and follow along and worship with us through the bulletin. Uh, We want to let you know of a few people, though, that have really made today possible. Uh, Diana Haskins and Scott Johnston and Ray Moses and Deborah Moses and Dan Brink have worked tirelessly to pull this thing off. And so we are so thankful for them and want you to know that and want you to be able to thank them and celebrate uh, with us as we gather for worship this morning. Um, The reason we're here, the reason we're gathered together in our pajamas or in a jacket and shirt uh, is because our God is alive, because he loves us, because he calls us to himself. And so I want you to, wherever you are, take a moment and gather yourself, quiet your heart, and spend a few moments now preparing your heart to worship our risen Lord. At this time, I want to invite you to stand up where you are if you feel comfortable. I recognize that that is possibly really awkward, uh, but we're going to embrace the awkward, uh, but you don't have to. Uh, But join with me in our responsive call to worship based on Romans 6, uh, chapter uh, 6, verses 9 and 10. Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died for sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Let's rejoice and sing together finally in Christ alone. In Christ alone my hope is found, he is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through 
under the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. You can be seated if you are standing. Uh, please join your hearts with me as we pray our prayer of adoration together. Please unite your hearts and your spirit with me. We give you thanks, our great, mighty, and merciful God, for the hope that we have in Jesus, who died but is risen and who rules over all. We thank you that none of what we are experiencing is out of your control, and we trust that you are not only in control, but you haven't given up on us and you haven't fallen down on the job but you are actually good in this time of isolation and of terrible sickness. We praise you for your presence with us. We turn to you and we run to you for rest and for refuge in the midst of our distress. Because Jesus lives, we look for eternal life, knowing that nothing past or present or yet to come can separate us from your great love made known to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Our call to renewal... Uh, for this service comes from Proverbs chapter 28, verses 13 and 14. Hear the word of our Lord. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. If we're honest, 
uh, these past several weeks have been extremely difficult on us for many reasons. Uh, but one of the reasons is we're being confronted constantly with our heart's desires. And we see the places and the things that we turn to and run to for life and for comfort apart from God. But the good news of the gospel is this. When we turn to our God in faith and in repentance, when we turn away from those false gods that do not satisfy us, when we turn to the one true God who made us and loves us and died and rose again for us, we find life and we find forgiveness. So let's go before him confessing together now using the prayer put in your bulletin. Please pray with me. Our Lord, our God, help us and heal us. We are stubborn, blind people who repeatedly and willfully stray from you. Like children who rip their hands away from their parents on a busy street, we will not stay near you. In our blindness, even our ability to confess has been distorted. Some of us are unaffected by the fact that we are helpless sinners without your mercy. We are indifferent to the cost of our rebellion. We confess out of duty or habit, but not out of a deep awareness of our need for your overwhelming grace. Others of us are so undone by our repeated failures that we can barely lift our heads to you for help. Lost in the anxiety of our unbelief, we confess out of fear, desperation, hopelessness, but seldom out of confidence that you love us and have invited us into a real relationship with you through repentance and forgiveness. Loving Father, create in us clean hearts that are truly broken for our struggles with sin, yet utterly confident that your love is more than enough to transform the foulest sinner who trusts in you. Please take a few moments now to reflect quietly and confess before our God who is faithful to forgive. Now lift up your heads and hear these words of encouragement from Lamentations chapter 3 verses 21 to 24. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed, but we have hope. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it was sufficient for us to put an end to all of our sin so that you now can only know his mercy and his compassion every morning. At this time, uh, we extend to you God's peace, and we want you to extend God's peace to one another. So I invite you to uh, share comments through Facebook or to text one another. So therefore, the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. Take a few moments. And now we come to our prayers of the people. Uh, I invite you to unite your hearts with me in prayer, and we'll conclude by joining our voices together wherever we are using the Lord's Prayer together. Please pray with me. Our gracious Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of life and creation. We thank you for this earth and the promise that you will one day bring about its redemption. 
We thank you for our bodies, for our neighbors, for our homes and for grocery stores, for hospitals, for healthcare workers, for our government officials, but most of all for your faithfulness to us, for your presence and the confidence that we have that you are not surprised by our circumstances, but you are in control and you are at work even now to bring about your kingdom purposes. We do pray for your church this morning and all of her diversity gathered out of every nation and family and tribe and tongue. We thank you for those gathered for worship in all different digital formats, uh, especially in our community. We pray especially for Church Project here in the Woodlands, for their pastor, Jason Shepherd and his family and staff. We thank you for their partnership in the gospel. We ask that you would continue to strengthen them in their faith and in their reliance upon you, that you would continue to use them to further your kingdom here on earth. Grant to your church throughout this world grace and humility where there is pride, unity where there is division, and truth where there is error, wisdom where there is folly, that you might actually fulfill your purposes for her and through her. May we show your love and your grace in all that we say and do, and may we be known for how well we love those around us. Father, as the world has changed over the past several weeks, we trust and rest in the fact that you do not change. We know that you are good and perfect and you are not the author of sin and suffering, but we pray as your weary children longing for the day when perfect peace and health will replace all darkness and sickness and death. When sickness and suffering and sin will be no more. And so Father, until that day, free us from cynicism and worry. Help us to be warriors of peace and agents of hope. Replace our anxieties and our fears with faith and trust and help us to rest in and trust in the reality that Jesus defeated evil on the cross and we have the certain promise that he will get rid of sin and death and sadness and sickness once and for all when he returns. And so we beg that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. You are a God that brings life from death and so help us to look for and to hope for the resurrection in every area of our life. We ask that we would take hold of your vision for your kingdom, that we would labor to love our neighbors, and that we would seek the good of those around us. We ask that you would hear us now as we pray the prayer that your son has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We come now to our time of offering. We admit this is a very weird thing to do because we're not in the same room, but we invite you to take a moment, uh, recognize all that we have, all that we are, all we've been given are truly gifts from God. Uh, we recognize that this is a difficult time for many of us. And so if you are able to give, um, you can give online at gracewoodlands.org or you can mail a check into the church office. But we ask you now to take a moment uh, to give or to plan on that uh, and to take a moment to pause and to thank God for the goodness that he's given to you.
Today we are continuing our series on Joseph, and we come to Genesis chapter 42. Uh, In this chapter, we see the beginning steps of reconciliation between Joseph and his family and the heart change that begins to occur in this broken and this dysfunctional people that God loves and that he has committed himself to. We're forced again to ask this question, you know, what is God doing here? But rather than demanding answers as to why this terrible thing, whatever it is, uh, is happening to us, we need to be asking the question, how do we trust God? How do we follow God? How do we turn towards him in the midst of unexpected circumstances, in the midst of chaos and uncertainty? The reality is for all of us, we may never know the answers, but we can trust that God is with us, that he hasn't left us, that he promises to be with with us, that he promises to be faithful to us, and that he promises that following him is always best for us, even when it doesn't look or feel like it in that moment. So please hear with me God's word given for his glory and for our good. It's a long passage again. Uh, Chapter 42 of Genesis, verses 1 to 38. Please follow along with me. This is the word of God given for his glory and for our good. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went out to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of that land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They didn't realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them 
and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your brother, your youngest brother, back to me, so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Please pray with me. Father, we need you to show up in our lives through your spirit, through your word. We ask that you would speak to us, soften our hearts, open us up to your word for us. We pray that you would be at work even now, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, in whatever circumstance we are in, we ask that your spirit would change us, that we would be transformed by your gospel, and that we would be surprised by your grace and your faithfulness to us in the midst of these unexpected and uncertain circumstances. It's in Christ's name we come. Amen. Well, what we see in this passage today is that God has unexpected ways and plans for his people. We're just jumping right in. Uh, Remember the end of chapter 41. All the world comes to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine is so great everywhere. And then in verse 5 we read that everywhere includes the land of Canaan where Jacob and his family lived. So God's going to use a famine, not just to rescue his people from hunger, and not just to reunite this broken and this dysfunctional family that he chose to be his people, and that he chose to communicate his love and his faithfulness to and through for the world, but to rescue them from the spiritual famine that they're experiencing to rescue them and restore them and reconcile them to a proper relationship with him and with each other. God's unexpected ways include this famine, but they also include the dysfunction in this family. I mean, look at it. They they include the favoritism that Jacob showed to Joseph and that we see now he's showing to Benjamin at the expense of the other sons. 
It includes the hatred and the betrayal by the brothers towards Joseph. And the, the God's unexpected circumstances and plans include these brothers lying to their father, showing him that they don't care about his feelings, that they don't care that he's sad and in pain and in anguish, that they've been holding this lie for 22 years. And we see that Joseph still hasn't recovered from Joseph's, that Jacob still hasn't recovered from Joseph's death. And he doesn't actually even trust his own sons. He won't send Benjamin to get food for the family because he fears something will happen to him like it happened to Joseph. And so the question that we ask is, why doesn't God just snap his fingers, make all this pain, all this suffering go away? The real answer is we don't know. But we know that God is present with his people in the midst of this. And he is using and not wasting one single thing, one single bit of pain or suffering, and one single iota of circumstance to shape this people, to accomplish his purposes for them and for his world. And then we see that God's unexpected ways and his plans include this unexpected family reunion that we read about in verses 6 to 26, and we're just going to walk through it really quickly. The brothers show up in Egypt. They bow before Joseph in verse 6. And Joseph, we're told, remembers the dreams that he had when he was 17. But these dreams aren't really being fulfilled because Joseph's younger brother Benjamin and his father Jacob aren't there with him. And Joseph recognizes his brothers, but you see, they don't recognize him. It's been 22 years. Joseph is 39 at this point. He comes face to face with his abusers, with his brothers that sold him into slavery. And Joseph has the option here. He can either reject them, he can punish them, he can throw them in prison and throw away the key. He could get revenge on them for what they did to him. And we would say he'd be right to do so. Or Joseph could just come out and say, hey guys, it's me, Joseph, don't worry, uh, the The past is ancient history. It's water under the bridge. I'm just going to overlook your sin. It's not a big deal. Joseph doesn't punish them. He doesn't just overlook their past crimes to him. Joseph actually chooses a third way. He needs to know if he can trust his brothers again. He may have forgiven them, but he doesn't know if they want to be forgiven, if they actually can be reconciled. It seems really unexpected when we read this. It seems like Joseph is even being vindictive. But if you look closely, he really isn't. He's not just trying to punish them. Um, but God uses Joseph's well-crafted strategy that we learned he's an he's a awesome economic and political strategist. He uses his strategy to disrupt his brother's lives, uh, to discipline them, to convict them of their sin even, and to bring them towards God and repentance, and eventually in reconciliation with Joseph. Joseph develops and he implements this really excellent plan where he tests his brothers. And he tests them in terrifyingly similar ways to the ways that they failed him 22 years ago. Joseph questions them, accuses them of being spies, and he gets information from them. Um, And then he throws them in prison for three days. And his brothers get a taste of Joseph's pain and the distress that he experienced all those years ago. And then Joseph softens, and he returns to his his brothers, and he says, one of you can stay here. The rest of you can go home and take grain back to your families, but make sure that you come back with your youngest brother. So Joseph actually shows grace to his family, and he allows them to take more food back home than with nine brothers than just one. And then 
this awesome transition happens in verse 21. The brothers start to talk, and they finally express guilt and remorse for the first time that we read about, something that didn't come through hearing the cries and the desperate pleas of Joseph when they threw him away, and something that didn't come through the tears and the pain that they've seen their father battle for the past 22 years. They begin to repent. They begin these baby steps towards reconciliation. And then Joseph learns that Reuben, the oldest brother, the one that he probably held responsible for this sin against him for these past 22 years, isn't, isn't likely to, isn't the one that, that came to fight against him. He didn't want to inflict this pain on him. And so Joseph binds Simeon and he 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 goes in front of his brothers and he sends the nine home with full bags of grain, but not before he turns away and he weeps. He hears the cries of his brothers. He hears his older brother Reuben say that I didn't want to have anything to do with this. And he turns away and he weeps. And we see again that Joseph is not being vindictive towards his brothers. And then the brothers return home like they did 22 years ago, minus a brother and with more silver than they left with. Joseph is causing his brothers to unexpectedly relive their failures with him to see if they really have changed, to see if they really are honest men now. Will they return to Egypt to get Simeon, or will they leave him behind like Joseph? Will they come back to Egypt even though the Egyptians will likely see them as thieves because they still have their silver? What's going to happen? What we see here is the brothers don't know what's going on like Joseph didn't know what was going on with his life all these past years. But God is at work and setting all of this up, using these unexpected ways and plans so he can not just physically rescue this family from famine, so that he can restore them spiritually and emotionally and relationally. God's goal is to turn his people's hearts towards him, so that in the words of Jacob that we read earlier, so that they can live and not die. And live fully, not just physically free from hunger and famine, but so that they can thrive, again, emotionally and relationally and spiritually. So when we find ourselves in the midst of God's unexpected ways, like living in quarantine for the past five weeks, uh, with school getting canceled, getting that being announced yesterday, with the uncertainty of our economy and our job and our financial situations, with having to spend all this time either alone or with our spouses, or with our children and our families, with our idols being exposed, with our fears and our anxieties not able to be controlled by us. We don't need to look outside of us demanding answers for what's going on around us. But we need to tremble in our hearts like Joseph's brothers do in verse 28 when they say, what is this that God has done to us? Listen, the, Joseph's brothers are not accusing God in their distress, in their uncertainty. They're not blaming God. What is this God has done to us? Uh, they're not blaming him for their pain. They're finally crying out to God. They're finally recognizing that he's at work in their lives. They're humbly looking to him and asking him, what are you up to right now? They're finally being softened after 22 years of hardness of heart towards Jacob and towards Joseph. So the question for us when we're experiencing the unexpected is to look within us and to ask, how can I turn towards God in this, in the midst of this? We need to also ask ourselves, where am I turning for relief? 
You know, is it in the, in the comfort of knowing the future ahead of us? Is it in the economy turning around? Is it in the security of my job? Is it in my relationships not falling apart around me? Is it in school going forward in some way? Is it in my addictions and my escape mechanisms? The reality for us is that when we turn anywhere apart from God for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for life, for happiness, we're going to be left sorely disappointed and more empty than we were before. The question we really need to wrestle with is how can I turn toward God and trust in him in this unexpected time? One of my favorite movies uh, growing up and even now is, has always been The Karate Kid. Uh, it tells the story of the unexpected, All Valley, 1984, under-18 karate champion, Daniel LaRusso. Uh, one night, the local handyman, Mr. Miyagi, rescues Daniel uh, after he gets chased down and beat up by Johnny Lawrence, who is Daniel's uh, arch nemesis and his friends. So, uh, he gets chased down and beat up, and Mr. Miyagi rescues him. And then they come to this agreement after Daniel says, hey, can you teach me how to do karate? And he says this, Mr. Miyagi says, I teach you karate, you learn karate, and you don't ask any questions. So for the next four days, Mr. Miyagi has Daniel come to his house and unexpectedly asks him to wash and to wash all of his cars, to sand his floor, to paint his fence, both sides of it, and then to paint his house. And finally, Daniel gets frustrated after spending four long days doing these wearisome and tiresome chores, and he decides he wants to quit. And it's in that moment that Mr. Miyagi's unexpected ways begin to make sense when he shows Daniel that it's through trusting him, through the wax on and the wax off, through the paint the fence, through the sand the floor, and through the side to side that Daniel actually has been shaped, that he's been taught the basic tenets of defensive karate. Mr. Miyagi's ways are completely unexpected. And then Daniel, the skinny, wimpy, twerpy kid from New Jersey, is the most unexpected person that you think would become a karate champion. But that's exactly what happens when he follows Mr. Miyagi's unexpected ways. And in our text today, we find that God uses unexpected ways and plans to accomplish his promises, to bring life, to bring salvation, to bring hope and reconciliation in the lives of an unexpected people. We are like Daniel in the Karate Kid. We're in the midst of doing these tedious and these tiresome and mundane chores, and we struggle to see how our mentors' unexpected ways are at work in shaping us and teaching us. You know, we struggle, like Daniel does, to see past our unexpected, our frustrating and our painful circumstances, to see how God is at work in the midst of them, drawing us to himself, shaping us, growing us more and more into the people that he has called us and created us and saved us to be through Jesus. But it's not just trusting God to be at work in the unexpected ways that we read about here, asking how can I turn towards him in the midst of my unexpected circumstances. It's also who God loves and who he is faithful to because we see that he loves and is faithful to an unexpected people in the midst of his unexpected ways. We've already talked about this some, but look at who God loves and who he's faithful to. It's an unexpected people. Everyone in this story is a mess. Everyone in this story is sinful and undeserving and has contributed to the brokenness all around them. 
I don't know if during the quarantine you've watched the Netflix uh, hit documentary Tiger King, but it's like that. There are no good guys in this story. Uh, God's unexpected people, we see, are a wounded people. If you look at Joseph, he's been away from his family for 22 years, and he's been in charge of Potiphar's house. He's been second in command over all of Egypt, and he never one time reaches out to his father to tell him he's alive. He never once sends a message. He never once tries to sneak away to go on vacation to visit his family. So there's relational discord and woundedness there. Joseph is so wounded and so traumatized by the sin against him by his brothers that he doesn't even reach out to his father to let him know that he's safe and alive. He tries to forget the wounds that he's experienced with his family. And then look at the brothers. They've been hardened by their sin for 22 years, and they're wicked and they're sinful men. I don't know if you can imagine uh, inflicting that kind of pain and anguish on one of your parents um, and on your brother even, you know, and then keeping that big of a secret from one of your parents for that long, continually adding to their pain and their tears and their sadness, knowing that you can make it better in one second by coming clean. These are not honest and good men. They're wicked. And then look at Jacob. He's still a terrible father. He's damaging his family through the favoritism that he's shown. He looks at his nine sons in verse 36 and 38, and he says, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? My son will not go down there with you. My brother, his brother is is dead. And then catch this. He says, he's the only one left. He's talking to the nine other brothers and said, Benjamin is the only one I have left. Some of you can imagine the pain and have experienced the pain of having a parent tell you that you don't matter to them at all. And that's exactly what Jacob does to his sons here. And even though we see that Jacob is an awful father, that the brothers are extremely hardened and wicked, that Joseph is wounded and traumatized, God doesn't turn away from his people. His love for and his faithfulness to them is not based on their goodness or their performance. These are the people that God loves and is committed to and cares for. And these are the people that he works to rescue and to restore and to save and to reconcile with himself and to reconcile with each other. God loves and is faithful to wounded, traumatized, hardened, broken, bitter, hurtful, unwanted, and wicked people. And that's really good news for you and me because if we're honest, that's exactly who we are. And we see how God cares for us in the way Joseph cares for his brothers in the story. Joseph's actually modeling God for us and leading his brothers to conviction and repentance. We see how being lovingly disciplined by God, experiencing sometimes painful consequences coupled with God's gracious mercy actually convict us. And they lead us to recognizing God's work in our lives. And then that leads us to repentance. And why does God care so much about repentance in our lives? Because it actually leads to life. It leads to resurrection. It leads to wholeness. So when we're experiencing God's unexpected ways, and especially right now during this confusing and unexpected time that we're all sharing together, we often ask the question, why is this happening? And I'm going to tell you the answer this morning. The answer is, God only knows. 
We, we don't know, but only God knows. We don't know the answer, but we can trust that our God does know the answer and that our God is faithful to be with his people and, to be, and he is faithful to keep all of his promises. And our God is in the middle of this with us and he doesn't leave us. And as we move towards him in our brokenness, in our woundedness, in our pain and in our hardness of heart, we move towards him and what we get is life. As we turn towards God in the midst of his unexpected ways, in the midst of our pain and suffering, we find that he actually brings us life. When we lose the things that we think we need for life, our security, our comfort, our ease, our stability, we begin to cry out like Joseph's brothers. And when we finally do, when we turn to him, we actually find the thing that we've been searching for this whole time. We find life in him. We find the one who is in control of all things, who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us and rise again so that he might rescue us in the most unexpected way imaginable. The cross of Jesus is the ultimate unexpected way that God works in the lives of his people, in the lives of unexpected and broken and sinful people. It's the way that he comes in and he takes care of his people those that have declared themselves to be his enemies, those that don't want anything to do with him, he comes in and through the unexpected, upside-down nature of the cross, he takes his own life and he sacrifices it for us. And it's through his death and his resurrection that he pays for all of our sin. And he makes it possible for us to be reconciled to a right relationship with him when we turn to him in faith and in repentance because of the grace that's been shown to us by Jesus. And he not only in that moment forgives all of our sin, but he restores us to a right relationship with him and he gives us Jesus's perfect status as holy and dearly loved child of God. Jesus is killed so that we can have life. The father turns his face away from Jesus on the cross so that you can only know his perfect and gracious face and presence in whatever circumstance you're facing right now if you're his. The message of the gospel breaks our hearts and it turns us towards our God and it brings us life because the gospel tells us that we are more broken and messed up and lost and far more wicked than we could ever dare imagine. But the gospel tells us through Jesus's love and death for us, you are far more loved and accepted and forgiven by God the Father than you could ever dare dream. This God calls us to cling to him in the midst of our unexpected circumstances because he promises he will not fail us. He promises he will not disappoint us. And so like the karate kid, we might not understand the methods and the unexpected ways of the one that's in control of us, but we can trust that this God loves us that he is true, that he is faithful to his people, that he will not leave us and he will not waste one ounce of brokenness on us. And he will use unexpected ways to bring grace and mercy and to apply his purposes to an unexpected people so that we can be given life and we can be reconciled to him and to one another. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you work in the unexpected, that you do great and mighty things to draw us near to you, to transform us, 
Uh, We pray that you would be at work now, that you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to see the unexpected ways that you are at work, and that we would turn to you, and we would trust you, and we would love you. We thank you for your goodness and grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you now, if you'd like to stand at home, uh, we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4 of Satisfied. So we're going to skip verse 3, but we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4 of Satisfied together. some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, he has found me, the one my soul so long has prayed. Jesus satisfies all my longings, through his blood I now am saved. Feeding on the filth around me, till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better only still to hunger on Hallelujah He has found me the one my soul so long has prayed Jesus satisfies all my longings through his blood I now am saved. Well of water, ever springing, bread of life so rich and free. Untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah, he has found me, the one my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies all my longings, through his blood I now am Now receive the Lord's benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Now let us go forth to serve this community and the world as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.